0: Hey, this is Daryl. Before I turn you over to Joe and Jordan and MLS Assist, I want to let you know about the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. LLS will be hosting a trailblazing event, The Big Virtual Climb, sponsored by AbbVie, to support their investment in groundbreaking research to advance blood cancer cures and its first-in-class patient education and services, including financial support and clinical trial navigation. I know that was a mouthful, but as someone dealing with cancer myself, I can guarantee that all those things are very, very important. Cures are important. Patient education and services are important. Financial support is important. And clinical trial navigation is very important. If you want to add your support, if you want to step up to take cancer down... You can join in by climbing 61 floors or 1,762 steps inside or outside, on stairs, on the road, on your treadmill, climb whichever way you want. But join LLS for the opening ceremony and then take on the climb using their heart pumping playlist if you like. Join on June 13th from coast to coast as LLS comes together to climb, conquer and cure. Register at LLS.org slash big climb. At the very least, you'll be guaranteeing you get some exercise on june thirteenth. Once again, it's lls.org/slash big climb.
1: Hello everyone and welcome to MLS Assist. I'm your host, Joe Lowry, and I'm joined by my co-host, Jordan Angeli. Jordan, right up front. You and I both know that there's a lot happening in the world right now, specifically talking about the heightened awareness of racial injustice that has become impossible to ignore. You and I spoke prior to recording, and we wanted to make sure we address this. Individually, we are both actively addressing this with each other, with our families and friends and other people around us, and we encourage our listeners to do the same. As that progress hopefully occurs, I think we are both thankful to continue to provide this podcast.
2: Uh, That's well said, Joe, and uh, I think important to start off the show like that. But I'm doing I'm doing all right. I'm excited. You know, in the world of MLS, there brings excitement, right, because we're going to get some soccer games. And as soon as next month, which, you know, you and I are both really uh,
1: pumped about. Jordan, you and I have talked several times, I think on air, but also off air. We're just itching to get back to what we wanted this show to be in the first place, hopefully providing some insight into what happens on the field in MLS. And it looks like after the MLSPA passed the amended CBA, this is a lot of uh, allocation disorder language, but essentially <laughs> to fast forward us, we're getting Major League Soccer back in Orlando, as you said, hopefully in the next month.
2: It's going to be a lot of games, and they're going to come fast and furious, and I think that we have an opportunity here to see what you guys want, too. So if you're a avid listener of this podcast, we want to know what you guys want to see as far as what we cover during this tournament in Orlando. So hit us up with your ideas. You can tweet us at MLS Assist Pod on Twitter, and we're going to be looking at all those things and trying to see how we can best serve you guys. 100%.
1: Jordan, last time you and I talked was our Top 10-ish Designated Players of All Time episode that came out two weeks ago. On that show, I talked about how Miguel Almiron is sort of the poster child for the buy, let shine in MLS, and then sell model that could be very profitable for the league. But as a whole, we talked about how we really haven't seen that. The league hasn't gotten on board the Almiron train, but what if they did? That's what we're here to look at today. Who are the players that have the skills to number one? play at a higher level. Number two, increase Major League Soccer's now almost non-existent stake in the global transfer market. And three, make their clubs some money. And what teams could they move to in Europe if those moves even happened in the first place? So we're going to find out today. Yeah. But one more but before we get into this, I'm sorry, everybody. Before we get into (laughs) our player discussion, we need to talk about how we whittled down the entire MLS player pool to just 10 players because that's what we're doing today. We're talking about 10 guys. When you and I were coming up with this list of 10, we had to give ourselves some major restrictions. Number one, Deep breath. Number one. The first rule is that all these players on our list are not eligible for the United States men's national team. Why? Because we're going to be talking about young Americans in MLS with the potential to move abroad on next week's show. The second important rule is that in order to be eligible for Jordan and Joe's future transfer list, all players have to have been in MLS for at least one year. So none of the guys that came into the league this past offseason, Rodolfo Pizarro, Edson Flores, Yuya Akubo, are in our top 10. Number three. OK, number three, the third rule is that the players on our list can't currently be on loan from another club. The Galaxy couldn't sell Christian Pavon for thirty five million dollars right now because he's not their player. He's a Boca Juniors player. Jordan, yeah. uh, my vocal cords are already getting tired. Can you take these last two rules?
2: Yeah, let me let me take over for you. So <laughs> those are you. the first three rules. And I think those are really important to us as we started to figure out, OK, how are we going to. Find which players we're going to chat about. Rule number four is that these guys that we're going to talk about have to be realistic options to move to an elite European league as a big step in their career. So we went ahead and said, okay, well, if those are the types of players, European clubs typically want a player they can continue to build and mold into what fits their style of play. So we capped it at 26 that's the age range that we went to 26 and below. So I think that gave us a good way to keep this into a little bit smaller of a list, right? Right. And then Finally, we had to institute what we're going to call the LAFC rule. I don't really know how else to say this because <laughs> it, it basically states that no more than two players per team were allowed on the list. When we had been discussing this prior to today's recording, because you and I have talked about this uh, a number of times, we have multiple players uh, we think of, especially on this LAFC team. But there's other teams in the league too, right? Um, and you'll get to see that we have two players on multiple teams in the league. So we're going to just Give some honorable transfer mentions as we go along, but no more than two players per team.
1: Boom. I think that covers it. Jordan, I think you and I have a legitimate future in crafting MLS roster rules and regulations. Um, <laughs> so if this show doesn't work out, we both decide that we're moving on to bigger and better things and more nuanced things. I think the MLS uh, league office is where we're both headed.
2: Right. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> until then, here's the podcast. <laughs> exactly.
1: Until then, this is just a gateway until we get to that level. Um, all right. Jordan, I think we've, we've enjoyed it well. MLS is coming back. We got a bunch of rules to talk about these 10 players that are going to move maybe one day from MLS to Europe. Why don't you start us off, Jordan? Who's our first okay. player that we think could succeed at a higher level?
2: All right. I'm going to start with LAFC since we just talked about the LAFC rule. I'm the first player that I'm going to talk about is Latif Blessing. And one of the things that I like about Latif Blessing, 23 year old Ghanaian player, fourth year in the league. He played 2017 with Sporting Kansas City and then, um, was a part of the build of this LAFC squad, right? When he started in this league, he started as an attacking player, a forward who is good on the dribble, can get at players, deceptive in his movement, and when you think about him, I think one of the most interesting things, Joe, is his transition into the midfield. That's one of the things people talk about all the time, right? 100%.
1: That that transition has been in the midst of all the LAFC storylines. Maybe not talked about as much as it should be, but for Blessing specifically, that transition has been huge.
2: Right. So he has qualities in him as a player that I believe were really seen by Bob Bradley and taken advantage of in the midfield. I already mentioned he's deceptive on the dribble. So one of the things you don't see a lot of the times from central midfielders is their ability to dribble out of pressure. Mm. As a center midfielder, you a lot of the times are passing out of pressure. Blessing is so comfortable on the ball and so um, quick in his first few steps that he can receive a ball and beat that first line of, of pressure, that first player coming at him. And usually when he does that in the way that teams play right now, he beats a whole block of players, right? So then he's dribbling into a space where he can attack the next line and find movements off the ball. One of the things that I think is really interesting is when you go from a forward position into a midfield position, well, defensive responsibilities clearly go up, right? Sure, sure. I have been really impressed with his ability to fulfill these defensive responsibilities. So I looked back at the game versus Miami earlier in this season, one of the the two games we saw from LAFC (laughs) this year, and uh, I I was watching just Blessing. I was focusing on him and how he adjusted defensively to certain things. Now, this is a year into, I guess, this Blessing into midfield project, and what I saw is uh, his his growth from last year to this year in his defensive responsibilities and his awareness of how to help. So uh, he was playing really as a left-sided attacking midfielder, I would say, central midfielder. And there's a breakdown on the right side. So as this breakdown happened on the right side for LAFC and they started to get attacked down their right side, he chased from the left side central midfield and he went first he went and he covered the space in between the center backs to not allow the player with the ball to attack into that space then he went into pressure the ball um that kind of movement going first to the goal then out to pressure is a really interesting thing that i think it's hard to you can get that concept but to put that into your play is a difficult thing to do so what happened is he pressure the ball uh Sweat was the player with the ball, Ben Sweat, and his pressure then allowed a trailing player for LAFC to come and scoop the ball up in a double team situation. Um, it's, it's huge. That's not something that you can just expect of a player it has to be something that's learned and I mentioned he you know that shielding of passing lanes that shielding of that space he's really adjusting his play defensively and I think his defensive ability al- allows the scope of his play to shine a little bit more now these are all positive things right the one thing I think Latif Blessing could get better at is his final passing hmm When you're in that position to play in a midfield role, uh, you're in different passing lanes than you are as a winger. As a winger, you get to the end line and you cut the ball back or you find the free player open. And uh, the types of balls um, don't have to have the same kind of pace as when you're driving at a player with the ball at your feet, and you have to thread a ball through yeah, with the right yeah. pace on it into the back line. And the weight as well, right?
1: You have to put the right weight on it as well, and in addition to the speed to maybe get the ball through the back line. You have to make sure it doesn't go too far for the goalkeeper to sweep up.
2: What I notice about Blessing is he plays them too soft. So he plays the balls too soft. So then there are opportunities for the back line to step in, win the pass, and then attack. So, you know, that's that's a small thing that he'll continue to get better at. And, you know, players that are playing have been playing central midfield for a long time are not good at that all the time. It's a really difficult skill set to have. With his attributes that I mentioned earlier, high energy, counter pressing, uh, these types of things that he is very good at, too, on the defensive side, I think he could go to a team that likes to have that same type of energy. So I'm going uh, Red Bull Salzburg. I'm going RB Salzburg playing that high pressure offense or high pressure defense transition to offense quickly. It keeps him near goal. It keeps him in places where he can be in front of goal and create
1: still. I really like that. I think, first of all, you have the MLS connection with Jesse Marsh coaching RB Salzburg. Salzburg also getting uh, time in the Champions League this year. They're on top of the Austrian Bundesliga right now as well. So they have opportunities to potentially be in European competition again next year. If Blessing were to make that move, he'd have plenty of games. He'd have plenty of chances to improve his ability to play that vertical final pass because that's something that Jesse Marsh wants his guys to do is to play right. forward. And, and those passes are going to need to be strong. So that's a perfect mm-hmm. opportunity for him to improve that area of his game in addition to allowing his mobility and his ability to dribble out of pressure to shine as well. Jordan, I love it.
2: All right. So that's my LAFC player. Should we stick with LAFC?
1: I think we should. So to get it out of the way now, I'm not about to talk about Eduardo Atuesta and I'm not about to talk about Diego Rossi. Those two players, especially Atuesta on this podcast, at least, get plenty of love and plenty of attention. And I think that has allowed people already to become more familiar with them. And those people might might be including European scouts and European teams as well. So Mm -hmm. sorry, those two guys were victims. Honorable mentions. They're victims of the LAFC rule, and I'm okay with that. The player I'm going to be talking about then from LAFC, our second guy from that squad is Eddie Segura. Center back, 23 year old Colombian, the man in LAFC's back line. Jordan was kind enough to give me, um, (laughs) to give me the center back.
2: Yeah, I felt like it was a gift.
1: (laughs) It really was. It really was just as a terrible transition, just as Eddie Segura is a gift to Bob Bradley's (laughs) squad. There Uh, we go. I fully acknowledge, I fully acknowledge that that was not the best. Um, at the start of this season, we saw Seguro's defensive value, and I'm going to talk about that before I get into what I truly love about center backs is their offensive contributions. We saw Seguro's importance playing next to Dejan Jakovic who's not the most mobile center back, right? Segura on the left, Jakovic on the right. Segura is the mobile guy to clean up the danger. He's patient defensively, so he's not willing to overstep to cut off Jakovic or or to, to make a move before he needs to. But he's able to cover for his center back partner and potentially for Diego Palacios, a young left back, if Palacios needs it. And that's a useful skill, right? Yeah. Given how LAFC want to play, where they want to push guys forward into the attacking half and keep the ball there all the time, having a center back in the back who can clean up danger when that happens is huge, right? Yeah. So I led with the, the defensive attributes. Now we're getting into the offensive stuff, right? Segura okay. is a modern center back. He's able to dribble the ball forward into space to exploit space and create numerical advantages in midfield. And what I love about Segura so much is he can pass the ball with either foot very, very well. Jordan, how rare is a, is mm. any player, but especially a defender who can pass the ball cleanly, break lines and play switches with either foot?
2: Yeah, I think it's, not rare for players to have the ability to do that, but it is rare for them to be consistent with
1: mm-hmm. it. That's a great and I way think to put that, it.
2: I think that's what he is.
1: I mean, I was watching a film of him and I had trouble figuring out which foot was his dominant foot. Playing on the left side, you'd think it would be his left foot, but oftentimes he was playing those switches out with his right foot. And just a mm-hmm. lot of interesting things happening with his dual footedness yeah. um, one other thing about eddie segura before i get onto the team that he's going to fictionally be playing for but maybe someday <laughs> you never know bobby yeah. warshaw was on the total soccer show recently talking with taylor after dortmund versus bayern a couple of weeks back and bobby was talking about how he views chance creation as sort of a, a multi-layered concept and i thought that idea was really really smart and i hadn't thought about it before so i'm gonna walk us through it here and it does tie into okay. segura i promise okay. so follow along with me everybody when looking at how teams create chances you you first look at passes that lead directly to shots Those are called key passes. They often lead to assists. Sometimes they don't, but that's fine. Those are called key passes. Then take it a step back. The passes that lead to the key passes, I'm going to call second layer passes. Those are also important because they create opportunities for chances. Then you've got third layer passes, which are the passes that lead to the second layer, which lead to the key passes. It sounds complicated, but I promise it's not. Imagine a play where a winger cuts the ball back across the box to a forward who shoots on goal, right? So the winger cuts it back from the byline. Mm -hmm. We're going to call that pass the key pass from the winger. That's perfect. It's key to the play let's work backwards a layer how did the winger get the pass in the first place let's say it came from a fullback playing him in behind the back line the fullbacks pass on let's say the right sideline is the second layer pass that's also important because it allows the winger to get into space then going back one more layer let's say the fullback got the ball from the opposite side center back switching it over to him that forced the defense to shift allowed the fullback to be in space to play the winger in to play the forward in the box that's the third layer Mm -hmm. pass All that said, all that to say, first of all, I think that's an intriguing concept and I appreciated Bobby bringing it up. But all that to say, I think that concept fits Segura's game really well because he's a defender. He's not typically high up the field in the attack, but he is able to contribute with second second layer passes and third layer passes that allow his attacking teammates to get production, to get assists, to get MLS assists, things like that. Segura really is this well-rounded, offensive-minded player.
2: Mm, I like that. And I'm going to use that in my later later description of a player that I have, too.
1: <laughs> so enough about Eddie Segura's actual ability. Let's talk about where he could go in a fictional universe. My choice is Brighton in the Premier League. Um, Ooh. So stylistically, Brighton fits Segura's skill set. Graham Potter came in this past season and completed a stylistic overhaul that turned them into a team that actually likes to have the ball instead of it's like playing without the ball so much of the time. And that fits Segura, right? LASC, you mm-hmm. play with the ball. He's a high demand player, both with and without possession. So I think Segura, number one, is good enough for the Premier League. And number two, absolutely fits that style.
2: Yeah, that's interesting. I like that. And um, a concept, too, just with playing with the ball versus without the ball, like he's a comfortable center back playing without the ball, but you don't utilize everything that he offers if you're not that possession
1: oriented style. Yeah, yeah. I could not have said that better. That's perfect. Jordan, bring us on to player number three.
2: Okay, my second player, third of our 10, is Julian Gressel.
1: Oh, yes. Okay, I'm here for it.
2: First thing I have written down for him is right back, right wing back, right (laughs) winger, center midfielder. (laughs) I mean, uh, who doesn't want a player who can play multiple positions? I think that's one of his, his key attributes, right? He's 26. It's his fourth year in the league. Uh, he had three with Atlanta. This is his first with D.C. United. What I think is interesting about Gressel is he's actually European. He's yeah. from mm-hmm. Germany and he was playing some fifth division football in Germany before he got recruited to come to the U.S. and play for
1: Providence College. What a great find. Sorry to cut you off, but like imagine no. being I mean, maybe he was emailed by his agent, maybe Providence. That's how they heard about him. But still, what a great connection to be made. That's really paid dividends for it, uh, for maybe the best team in MLS the last couple of seasons.
2: Oh, my gosh. And just if you know much about college soccer in the United States, you're not thinking like Providence College. That's right. where they all come from. Um, But I think what is important is there is a growth track here. Right. There's a growth track. He goes from fifth division to college to uh professional team. And he's just continuing to grow, Hmm. right? It's not saying that you have to be a certain way by a certain age. It's saying, okay, there is still so much soccer to be played in his career, that if he continues on the growth track that he's on, that there's potential
1: afterwards. That is brilliant. Like there's no reason, even though he's older, he's 26, right? I mean, he's older, but he's clearly stepped up at every level he's been at. He's made that progression, that growth track Mm -hmm. that you're talking about. So what's standing in his way to move to Europe and really succeed over there?
2: Exactly. Um, okay, so I'm going to talk about Gressel with Atlanta because we just haven't really seen much of him at DC United with Fair. just two games yep. and the way that they play and what he's going to do for that squad. So when I'm thinking about Gressel at in Atlanta and I watch some of the ways Atlanta played, I just think a three-five-two is ideal for him. Yeah, and that's the reason being was when he plays a. A wing back in a three five two. He can eat up that right side of the field. He loves to play in that internal channel, right? That half space on the right side. He just thrives in there, Joe. When you think of all the plays that Julian Gressel has created and made, they, they typically start in that space, right? Yeah. Yes, he can play wide. And typically when he receives the ball wide, especially in the midfield, it's, it's more of a possession. A possession move, so he'll receive the ball. He's really good uh, with both both feet. His passing ability is good, and his ability to connect and keep possession. But when I think of Gressel, I think of him as a, of a wing back and receiving the ball in transition. So as that wing back, you do have responsibilities, right? You have defensive responsibilities of covering the space either next to the that three center back, that third center back on the right side or even that pocket right above the center backs, right? Um, Trying to deny the space into the winger. So what is important about the way Gressel plays, in my mind, is his ability to transition. Hmm. So he reads the ball, the play really well. And he knows that when the ball gets into a certain space and he sees the ability to transition, he can get out really quickly. And with Atlanta United and the midfielders that they had, they could get one pass into uh, Lorenowitz or Nagby and then find Gressel in the space. And the space usually was that channel. So now you have Gressel running at the back line in a, a bunch of space and committing defenders. Well, what happens when you commit a defender? Then somebody else is going to be open, right? Either either it's going to be a trailing run or a, a fading run by Martinez on the far side, or he's then able to connect with players in front of him, uh, Barco or Martinez, uh, Pitti Martinez, someone like that who can then receive the ball in a more advanced position to then uh, create some kind of number overload. I just feel like he makes teams feel uncomfortable when he's on the ball.
1: That idea of transitioning is so important now, right? We yeah. see we see teams more and more rely on the split second, the tenths of seconds after the ball is turned over, one way or the other, to have their players react and to pinpoint that as one of Gressel's strengths. That's so huge. Not to mention
2: he's he's so good with his service in the box. It doesn't matter if he's running at speed and having an early service. He can I think that's one of the other interesting things about him is he times his run really well. There are very few times. Think about in the attacking third when you've seen Julian Gressel receive the ball standing still. It's usually a a pass breaking the back line, which he's running onto and crossing. Yeah, there yeah. are very few times where he's has the ball, you know, and, and receives it not not standing still, but not in a motion that is darting or uh, uncomfortable for the back line. So I think that his. Ability to receive the ball in a high sprint situation as well and create something out of it is really something that um, leads him into success. For has in in MLS, and I think that's one of the reasons I picked him. And I'm thinking, okay, he's German. (laughs) The easy way to go is Germany, but I think that probably is part of you know, if I were German, I would want to play at the highest level in Germany and to show that I was able to compete. And so I'm gonna go with Schalke.
1: Making American connections all across the board. Sorry, but that's not related. Schalke, Jordan. Why?
2: Well, they. Have this ability to play in a three-five-two, right? And they right. play in a three-five-two, um, which I think is the place where Gressel thrives. And he he wants the ability to get the ball in space and to be able to one connect because he does connect, right? He connects the lines. He is that type of player. But he also has the ability on the dribble to stretch the lines and find that ball through. And I think Schalke Schalke has that um, um, ability to have that mixture of attack that would fit him.
1: Yeah. The TSS guys have talked about kind of how Schalke is in shambles a little bit. Maybe Julian Gressel is the guy to restore them to up back (laughs) towards the top of the Bundesliga table.
0: Yeah. Okay. Let's move on. Next player. Hey, this is Daryl jumping in. You're going to find out who that next player is in about 60 seconds. But first, I want to tell you about today's sponsor, Hydrant. I'll guarantee that none of the players Joe and Jordan are talking about today can perform if they are dehydrated. Hydrant creates flavoured electrolyte packets that you can mix directly into your water to make hydrating your body easy and delicious. I've got to say, can confirm. Hydrant were kind enough to send us some sample packets and yeah, you just pour it in and if you put it in a bottle, maybe you shake it up. I pour it into a glass of water and then use a chopstick to stir it around. I'm not sure that that's what's recommended, but that's what I do and it works for me. It has the four electrolytes you need, sodium, potassium, magnesium and zinc. Plants don't need electrolytes, but humans do. Humans really, really do to stay hydrated. There are no synthetic colours or artificial sweeteners. The sweetness comes from pure cane sugar. And the cost works out at about a buck a packet for a 30-day supply. You can save even more with a monthly subscription. And for 25% off your first order, go to drinkhydrant.com soccer. That's drinkhydrant.com slash soccer for 25% off your first order. drinkhydrant.com slash soccer. Okay, let's find out who that next player is.
1: I'm headed to Julian Gressel's old club, Atlanta United. Um, I was going to talk about somebody else first, but we're going Franco Escobar, 25 year old Argentinian, right sided defender. I wanted to do Escobar next because he's kind of like Julian Gressel, but mm-hmm. just move back one spot on the field where Gressel is a hybrid right winger, right wing back, right back or central midfielder. Escobar mm-hmm. is a hybrid right wing back, right back, right center back in a back three. So you have yeah. kind of. It just moved back one layer on the field.
2: And I think that's one of the reasons why Atlanta was so good for a while too, right? Is because those two were playing on the same side and they could fill in any of those spots. So it didn't matter if Escobar was higher than Gressel. It, they were comfortable with the defensive responsibilities being covered by one of those two players, which allows when you when you have that trust, it allows for creativity and attack.
1: And that's one of those things a while back, a month or two ago, we were talking about future evolutions of soccer. And I, can, I think I asked you about like, why can't teams just go up, attack and then fall back into any defensive position? Like, why couldn't a huh. player who's a center back just defend up top? Atlanta kind of did that on a very small level with yeah. some of those players, or at least they had the ability to do that. Right. Um, but my preferred spot for Escobar, and seemingly Frank DeBoer's preferred spot for him as well, is as a right-sided center back in the back three. I listed all those other positions, but I think that right-sided center back spot is the best. And Jordan, just take a guess. Why do you think I like Escobar as a center back?
2: Because he can get forward.
1: Ding, 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 ding. Yeah, no, you got it. <laughs> right? It's the offensive contributions. But I want to get specific here because that's really okay. broad. Even though it is a specific element of his game, it's still pretty broad. So a lot of teams defend out of sort of a four-four-two block with a front two pressing up against the opposing center backs. That's pretty common. It's pretty basic. We see that a lot. When you play in a back three, you have a natural numerical advantage over the opposing front two, right? It's just math. Your three players are spread wider and have more chances to get on the ball compared to their two. Escobar helps Atlanta take advantage of that 3v2 boost. Picture this in your mind for a second. Atlanta shift the ball from the left side of their back three over to the right side, so over to Escobar, forcing the opposing front two to shift as well. But the ball always moves faster than the player. I mean, unless you hit it really, really slowly. But nine times out of ten, the ball is going to move faster than the man. So Escobar gets on the ball before the opposing front two can close him down. With time on the ball, Escobar dribbles forward, engages the opposing ball-side winger. So not the front two, but the player on, on the left side of the opposing team's defensive shape. He engages that player, beats him on the dribble, and then moves the play forward down the right half space into the opposing attacking half and, and plays it up to his central midfield teammates. It's a nice thought, right? It, it sounds pretty good on paper. That actually happened, though. This is real. <laughs> like, this isn't theoretical. This is real. That's me describing a play that led to Atlanta United's first goal of the 2020 season against Nashville SC. It was that exact sequence. And so Escobar's aggressive ability to move the ball forward has a tangible positive effect on how his team plays soccer. And that's why I like him as a right center back.
2: I like that. I like how you just threw that in there. Like, oh, just imagine this. <laughs> well, no, you don't have to imagine it. You can watch it play out.
1: Yeah, it's it was a beautiful sequence. It really was some... Interesting defending from Nashville when the ball gets higher up the field, but the play legitimately does start with that 3v2 advantage and Escobar taking advantage of that advantage. Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, <laughs> so where is he going, right? What's the move here? Well, I think he's going to follow Julian Gressel to Germany. I wanted to find a team that spends a lot of time in a back three, sort of similar to what you were doing with Gressel. And my search led me to Hoffenheim in the Bundesliga. Even without Julian Nagelsmann leading them, Hoffenheim have managed to stay in the upper half of the Bundesliga table, competing for Europa League spots. And I have no trouble... Seeing Escobar playing on the right side of a back three at a higher level, I think he is that good. He doesn't get talked about very much, but I think he could fit in no problem.
2: Yeah, uh, he also what I think allows him to play in that back three too is he has really good recovery speed, and he can read recovery well, right? So like even if uh, even if the play breaks down, there are multiple times that I can just picture in my head Escobar Escobar coming into a place where. He either wins the ball back from an an attacking player after they've beaten the back line or he slows them back down to allow his teammates to get back.
1: He's a very good player. I think he's one of a few guys that I think we're going to talk about that don't get as much discussion. Um, And I (laughs) think they should be not only getting that discussion, but getting legitimate looks from European scouts.
2: Yeah, I just remember a game last year against the Rapids and he... Just scored a crazy, you know, a crazy goal. When you're talking about him dominating the right side, he w- got all the way up and uh, he just scores wonder, wonder
1: goals. He does. He does. He has scored some major goals for Atlanta so right. far.
2: Um. Okay. I'm gonna keep us in the East, but I'm gonna go with a defensive central midfielder
1: in our tour. Jordan, our first holding mid of the conversation today. What what makes our tour so special, and what makes him have the potential to make this move?
2: Okay, it's his fourth season in Columbus. The last two years, he's played over two thousand minutes. Uh, he he plays really in that double pivot uh, holding midfield spot uh, currently right now in Columbus. What I like about our tour is he does okay. First off, if you're a defensive holding midfielder and you're going to be successful, you have to do all the small things, right? Right. You have to get your body positioning right. You have to face the field when you can. You have to be able to connect not only with your outside backs and your uh, center backs, but you have to be able to break the line and connect uh, over long longer periods of passing. Right. And he does all those things right. What I like about our tour and why I chose him is I really feel like he is a key cog in the, the way that Columbus attacks. Absolutely. So. I'm gonna go specifically to uh, his ability to isolate on um, the weak side and switch the point of attack. So first of all, when uh, Columbus crew builds the ball up, I'm thinking about the their first couple games, and Artur uh, can drift to one side of the field. So ball side of the field, Artur drifts, and he starts to connect, right? And one of the things he does so well is he pulls numbers into an area of the field where they can create um, maybe not a numerical overload, but pull players out of the space they actually want to attack. So our tour is on the left side. He's connecting. There's three or four passes. And then he slightly moves his body position centrally to receive the ball and and receive it with his right foot. So on the left side receives the ball with his right foot and then he can immediately play a long diagonal pass or what we like to call a second layer pass here. (laughs) Right? Uh, a second layer pass. That's where I was going to bring it in uh, to switch the point of attack. And we saw this on the goal that the Columbus crew scored in their first game against New York City FC is he received the ball, switched the point of attack and Diaz received the ball in a 1v1 opportunity and was able to uh, connect to Celery who then scored. If you're a holding midfielder and you just hold into the center of the field, you don't shift the defense right. all to come try right. to defend you, right? And he shifts over so far that I think it pulls players having to come help and, and defend. So then it creates an isolation that is so much more effective on the far side.
1: I think with our tour, we talk a lot about Nagby and a lot about Will Trap Over the last few years, obviously Nagby uh-huh. just joining the team about those two players being sort of the central midfielders they're the guys that get the that get the attention and Artur really hasn't um but mm-hmm. he's so smooth on the ball he's been just yeah. as key i would argue just as key to the crew's success not that they've been consistently successful over the last few seasons but under Greg Berhalter, especially cuz that's when i've seen them the most he was just as vital to that team and to playing how greg Berhalter wanted to as exactly. Will Trap was. And I think yeah, that play you just outlined is a perfect example of that. Now Will Trap onto Miami. Artur is able to be that connector to move yeah. play to one side and then quickly switch it to the other side with that second layer pass. He's huge for the crew.
2: Absolutely. And I think that that's one of the things that you like about players who you think, OK, there's potential to go and continue somewhere else is you're able to adapt to different styles of coaching, different coaches, but you're still able to be effective and consistent in it as well. Right. The other play that I really thought was intriguing about our tour. And so he's a holding central midfielder. And as this play developed with with the crew is also in that first game. And mind you, I know that this first game that the crew played, they were up a man. There was a red card in the fourth minute. So there were going to be some numerical advantages on the field, but it doesn't take away from the movement here. So the ball switched from the left side to the right side. And it was a pretty steady switch to the point of attack, a few passes to get the ball to Harrison Offal on um, as a right outside back, inching his way into the attacking third of the field. So what happened here is Celery on this new big time player for the Columbus crew started checking to the ball for, from Offal, right? So, when you have a player like that, they're going to draw attention. So right behind him, about 15 yards behind Zelarayán was Artur. And what happened there is Artur noticed that Zelarayán was attack was uh, attracting players to where awful was into that space. And Artur noticed that the the actual space then created on the field was in beyond uh, where maybe a winger in the corner would attack or near the end line and the corner, the corner flag, right? Right. So Artur saw the attention was from Celerion going towards the side of the field and he just took off in behind Celerion in that gap that he mm. then created and was able to attack as a holding midfielder on the end line with a cross coming back towards players coming towards the goal, right? And that's, that's a high percentage type of attack, right? When you yeah, can get that yeah. ball coming back against players who are running towards the face of goal, it doesn't matter who touches it. There are, eight players running towards the face of goal and one leg can can make all the difference right so I just think it's interesting that he does do so much defensively for them and so many right things but he also isn't afraid to do things that are a little bit out of the ordinary so uh, that's a couple of the reasons why I really like Artur.
1: I think those are both really good observations that I I hadn't noticed the mobility one right where him Mm -hmm. where he moves beyond the back line into that space That ability to do that and to get forward and to fill a space when you see it. Yeah, that's super important to any team that wants to keep the ball.
2: And I think you'll now that it's pointed out, you will probably notice it more once we start watching. I hope so. I hope so. Because he loves to do this. So I was thinking about um, where he could go. And clearly he's a possession oriented player. Like he wants to keep the ball. He's good at keeping the ball. He, he gives me similar feelings as like Busquets from Barcelona. Like, that's the type of holding midfielder. It's a very attainable player goal,
1: right? No problem right. with that. Yeah, it's, yeah, that's yeah, super no doable.
2: Um, uh, but I wasn't going to say Barcelona, right? I, I, was, <laughs> I wasn't going to go that far, but that, you know, there's steps in, in where I felt like Arthur could go. So I'm going to say Portugal. I'm going sporting CP in Portugal.
1: Okay. Okay. High level, high level team as well. I think yeah. that's going to have some value. They want to keep the ball as well. At least they, right. they typically end up keeping the ball because they are at a higher level than a lot of those teams in Portugal. There's no reason why our tour couldn't fit in with that.
2: And they play a lot of games. And uh, for a young player, I mean, any player, really, he just want to play a lot of games. And I think the the number of games at different levels of competition, I think, would be really valuable.
1: I'm moving us on. Our sixth player today is Ezekiel Barco, another Atlanta United guy, 21-year-old attacker. No pity Martinez, right? We hit the Atlanta cap. We hit the LAFC rule. Pity, I think, needs to show a bit more in MLS before Atlanta can get top value for him. So, Barco is the second Atlanta United player that we have on this list. He joined them in 2018 after the club paid the then-largest transfer fee in MLS history, which was reported to be around $15 million. So, he's already got a high price tag. They need to get money for him on the other side as well. Right. He hasn't quite had consistent MLS impact since coming to Atlanta, but this season and at the end of last season really did look like it was going to start to turn around. He had two goals already in the two games this season. Hopefully we'll see him get back on track with this Orlando tournament. Despite some inconsistent production over the last couple of seasons, Barco is still appealing, right? He's still got Mm -hmm. the talent. He has this low center of gravity that we talked about a bit with Giovinco a few episodes ago, where he's actually got the speed to go with that low center of gravity. So in addition to being hard to pin down, he's also hard to catch up with. So I think of him almost as an Almiron-Giovinco hybrid. Not that he's he's exactly like either one of those players, but in that small way, he is sort of a combination of those guys. And that makes him really difficult to stop in the attacking midfield.
2: Right. That's interesting. I never thought about that, but I can see... How certain qualities of both those players are kind of this hybrid of that he he is
1: as a player. And I think he's more of a dribbler than a passer. That's my perception of him, at least. He likes to have the ball, right? Almost like Blessing. Their small stature, they like to turn out of pressure with the ball at their feet, maybe taking quick touches with the outside of their foot instead of playing Mm -hmm. it forward. But that's okay, right? That's okay with how Atlanta United play. They want, Frank DeBoer wants his attacking players to have the freedom to express themselves on the field. Those two attacking midfielders on the outside of the 3-4-3 or like the 3-4-2-1. They are the stars. They're running the show. Barco is one of the key players for this team, and he has freedom to move around, which has helped him become more comfortable all over the field. If he's starting at that left-sided attacking midfield spot, over the course of the game, he might be in any of the five vertical channels. Like he might be on the left wing, the left half space, the center of the field, the right half space, or the right wing, just depending on, number one, where he sees space, and number two, whatever he feels like. He can do what he wants. And in a way that's helped him develop comfort on the ball in any spot on the field. And I think that has real value as well.
2: Well, I think it, also when you have the ability to do that and feel what is right, you also learn quicker because you know, okay, well, this isn't going to work right now, or this isn't right. my place that is going to work for me. So then you, it's like also a process of elimination.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So with Barco, I'm going to say that AC Milan in Syria is the spot for him. That's a high level, right? That's probably the highest level that we've said so far, right? But I think, I think he's got the talent. Atlanta number one needs someone who's going to pay, right? They need big bucks out of Barco because they, they put so much into him already. So I think having a club at the lower upper echelon of Europe, right? Not the top, top tier, but the lower, Mm -hmm. the lower top tier would be a good fit for him, at least monetarily. The one area that I think might be holding Barco back is his defensive ability. This is a legitimate question that I don't know about. I don't know if he's a good defender, an active defender or not. So often with Atlanta, he is leading the line and leading pressure. But then also it seems like when they're back in their 5-4-1 block, the wings of the midfield, which is usually Barco and Martinez, are just non-factors. They don't They don't seem to have much value when they're back in the block. And so if Serie A is going to be a real destination for him, that's going to have to be sorted out. But I'm going to leave that up to AC Milan. We're going to get to see Barco play off Zlatan, which I think has real entertainment value. Um, and anywhere anywhere on the attacking midfield side, Barco could fit in just fine for a team like that.
2: I think it'll be interesting, too, because he came into MLS with big expectations. And I think it's been difficult for him. Yeah. Right? yeah. And so going to that's a big club and there would be big expectations. But to have already experienced that at MLS level and just say, OK, I got through that. And here are the things I learned. You know, there's real growth in that, and there's a real opportunity to say, okay, uh, you know, I didn't hit the nail on the head here. How can I be better next time? And so, uh, just something that was brought to my mind too. Yeah, that's just a real learning
1: experience for him to get yeah. through. And now, to, it appears that he's coming out the other side of that, right, and becoming mm-hmm. this impact player. If he can take what he's learned from a slow start in MLS and apply that to wherever he moves eventually in Europe, because right. he's going to move, it's going to happen. Right. Um, right. If he can apply that, I think he'll be successful.
0: Yeah. I like that. Hey, this is Daryl jumping in to say I like that too, but I'm not sure how Atlanta United fans will feel if Barco gets sold just as he's coming good. I'll get you back to Joe and Jordan in just a minute, but first I want to let you know about today's sponsor. Today's episode is sponsored by Sunday Scaries. Sunday Scaries are specially formulated CBD gummies with vitamins D3 and B12, or vitamins is what I call them. These are specially formulated CBD products with vitamins or vitamins that can help you in all sorts of ways. They can help you to chill out, to decompress, to relax, to focus or to concentrate. Also worth noting, the CBD gummies, Sunday Scary CBD gummies, are shaped like bears but not made from real bears. No tiny bears were harmed in the making of Sunday Scary's CBD gummies. But if you want to make extra sure, then Sunday Scaries also has a vegan AF brand, sour gummies for chilling with CBD. You can also get 25% off your first order with the code Sucker at sundayscaries.com. That's 25% off your first order at sundayscaries.com. You just enter the code Sucker where it asks for a coupon on the checkout page. Find out what product might be best for you. Go to sundayscaries.com and use the code Sucker. Okay. Let's get back to Jordan and Joe. Okay.
1: Jordan, Jordan, take us on. Take us on to player number seven, 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 seven. Yeah. Okay.
0: Yes.
2: Yes. Take yes. us on to our next player. How about that? <laughs> uh, okay. You want me to stay with Columbus or you want me to move on? Oh, let's
1: finish. Let's finish Columbus. Why not? Okay. If we've got player Columbus. number two for the Columbus crew.
2: All right, player number two, Columbus Crew, third season, uh, missed last year due to an ACL injury. Mm. But in his first year, he had six assists as a left back. I'm going Milton Valenzuela. He's one of those players, a left footed, left outside back. Uh, I know, Joe, you were arguing that right footed players can play on the left side. (laughs) It
1: can not Uh, always have to. Don't always
2: have to, but they can. But I think that there also is a huge argument and uh, good reasoning for having a left sided, yes, yes. a left footed player on the left side. And Valenzuela is one of those things. He's everything that you want in an outside back. Defensively, he's great in 1v1 situations. Even this year, I recall in the couple games that I got to call him recovering. And I, I talked about recovery of other players like es- Escobar already in this podcast, but his recovery rate and his ability to get back into the proper position position uh, there's two plays that come to mind even this season where he was able to sniff out an attack that had beaten the Columbus crew defense. And he then recovered and got to a place where he could clear the ball out of danger. So his recovery um, ability and reading the play in that sense is really good. But he likes to get into the attack. And one of the things that I really appreciate about about Valenzuela is uh, the way the crew like to build up the ball, he can get high and wide. Right, and he can really uh, hurt you. He because he's a left-sided player. He'll get at you one v one. He likes to get to the end line, and he has the ability to cross and and cross with the the speed and danger that we see in Europe. Hmm. I still think, and Joe, correct me if I'm wrong. I still think crossing that we see in European leagues is just different than the crossing we see in, in the U.S. A lot of the times, if you think about a player getting to the end lining, whipping a ball across uh, a lot of the times they're like doing everything they can and falling after they even cross the ball to make sure that they get it into a place that is perfect for the attackers. And I don't know what it is. There's just this nuance about crossing that I think is at a different level in Europe.
1: No, I'm with you. I think that's what makes Gressel stand out so much in, in MLS is because he has that. He -hmm. plays the ball in with such pace and accuracy. That's really rare. Too often, I think we see these floating crosses that end up not going anywhere. That just kills attacks. You see that and you think, man, okay. In those moments, I legitimately think to myself, this league still has a ways to go, right? And we're not here just to hate on MLS, by the way. Like, we're not here to say, all these players need to get out of here um, to go play at a higher level. We're trying to to talk about how the league could advance through these players moving on, just as an aside there. But yes, Jordan, 100% with you. There is a real difference there.
2: And so I think that's one of the reasons that I like Valenzuela, because he does have this, crossing uh, tenacity mm. i think and and he get to the end line and he'll cross and he'll put players in a good position to to score but he really the way columbus plays and the way they build up they, he he reads the play right so he doesn't have to be high and wide attacking the cro- the, the end line he can also come inside let Celery on float out wide and be a connector almost like um an inverted outside back who plays in that midfield uh pocket right um so I, I like his ability to read the play as he goes forward. It's not like this is what we see every time from Valenzuela. It really is mixed up, and um, it's all about reading the game. So I think he gives you something in the attack. He gives you steadiness in the defense. He gives you a left-sided, a left-footed player on the left side. So there are so many things that I like about Valenzuela.
1: Pedro Santos plays on the left for Columbus. Is that right, Jordan? Most yes, of the time. Yeah. Okay, I ask because I'm just sitting here. I was smiling for our listeners as Jordan was kind of explaining Valenzuela's positioning and his ability to move inside because I was imagining Pedro Santos, Lucas el Milton Valenzuela, Artur and Dalinton Nagby just rotating in and out and confusing the absolute heck out of opposing defenses. That Mm -hmm. makes me smile. That is what Caleb Porter could do with this Columbus team and cause real danger in the attacking third. I love that.
2: Right. For sure. And I think one of the reasons that when, when you talk about that and that fluidity in attack, you think a little bit of that Dutch style of play, right? Hmm. Don't you kind of th- think that a little yeah. bit? So I'm thinking somewhere like Ajax, PSV, both um, like to play with attacking style outside backs uh, with that same fluidity in attack.
1: Yeah, that's really good. I think that's that's very good. Both of those teams if I'm not mistaken, have pretty solid left backs, but those guys could be sold. They can move on to a different European league, um, which could make room for Valenzuela to come in and really impact the Eredivisie.
2: Do you do you feel like there's other teams in that league that would fit him as well?
1: I mean, I just I feel like that league. The general, yeah, I agree with you. The general style of play, I think fits. If you're looking for a top Dutch team, but maybe not one of those top two, right? Maybe Feyenoord, who's consistently up towards the top of that league, could be a good spot for him. And then maybe he could get, Moved up to Ajax or PSV when those those teams look to raid the lower divisions, kind of like Bayern Munich do in uh, in Germany, where they just buy the best team, the best players from other teams in mm-hmm. the Bundesliga. Mm-hmm. The Dutch the Dutch league is a great spot for Valenzuela Jordan. I think for all the reasons you dictated, maybe yeah, maybe Feyenoord if we're not looking at Ajax or PSV, but any of those right. options are good.
2: I'm just also saying this. Uh, I don't want either t- player to leave, so don't leave. <laughs>
1: <laughs> they make the crew so much fun, right? As you're talking about Artur, I'm reminded of of how fun they were under under Burhalter especially. And now thinking about Valenzuela and about Affle, those two players are what makes the crew now so enjoyable to me. Like the yeah. fullbacks, Bobby talked about how fullbacks are going to become increasingly more and more important to teams, how teams attack. And the crew right. are maybe the best example in MLS of that. They're huge in how the crew attack and they can really impact the offensive side of the game.
2: Right. All right. We're narrowing it down here. Three more left. You
1: hit us with your next one. All right. So I am moving to New York City, not the Red Bulls, but NYCFC. Valentin Castellanos, 21, Argentinian center forward. He put up good numbers. He doesn't really get talked about very much. Like, I don't think we've ever talked about him on the show, Jordan, but he's putting up numbers. He had last season 0.52 expected goals plus expected assists. So, okay. That's pretty ethereal, right? Tangibly those stats put him above Johnny Russell and Jordan Morris per oh. per game so that's okay. that's kind of gives you the idea of where he stands in terms of his ability to produce goals and assists or at least chances for goals and assists right cuz that's what those metrics measure in the first place He's not talked about, though. MLS front office members are really the only people that are talking about him. I read an article from the outfield run by John Muller, by the way. We just had John on the show to talk about goals Mm -hmm. added. This article pointed out that Castellanos was the only name that cropped up in the same conversation as Rossi, Barco, and Brian Rodriguez in a survey from technical staffers across MLS. So that gives you an idea of how people, how soccer people are viewing Valentin Castellanos. So then the question is, why? Why right. is this guy deserved to be talked about? Why? Well, the rest of that piece from the outfield, which is titled Valentin Castellanos is better than you think, is an absolutely <laughs> great read and did provide a lot of quality insights into Castellanos' game. So I'm kind of taking some talking points and combining them with my own from reading that article. Positionally, Castellanos doesn't really have a set spot with NYCFC, right? Jordan, think about it. You've got a bear up top as the nine, right? Mm-hmm. So he's not going to mostly start as a single striker. And then you've got Matriza on the one wing who's been... Uh, okay in MLS so far. And then you've got Makai Stevens, and you've got Jesus Medina, and you've got Tajiri Shradi on that right wing as well. You have guys that are taking up these spots that Castellanos doesn't really have room. Maxi Morales even playing as the number 10. So all that said, he's versatile, right? He can play literally any of the spots I just said. He can play underneath the striker. He can play as the nine. He can play on either side of the, the attack on the wings. And he's had to do that. He's had to pick up minutes when he can. He's a disciplined, active defender without the ball. He's able to rotate into different spots on the ball He's good in the press, right? He's good Mm -hmm. counter-pressing. He's good high-pressing. That's what makes him such a dangerous option for NYCFC because he's willing to do the running. And then when he gets the ball, he can lay the ball off quickly. He can combine. He's good in all four phases of play with and without the ball. That's what I'm trying to get out here. He's able to do all of those things, and that pretty much makes him a coach's dream.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And you know that when he is that substitute coming off the bench, you're like it creates, creates a little bit of tension with the team that has to defend him because yeah. they're like, oh, gosh, he could, this guy can capitalize.
1: Yeah, 100%. I think if Castellanos can reduce his turnovers, because that's, I think, still the main thing in his game that needs to be improved is his ability to retain the ball. Sometimes he plays maybe a little too quickly or tries to do a little bit too much. Um, if he can reduce some of his turnovers, there's nothing stopping him from making an impact at a high-level European club. Mm-hmm. So then the question is, what's the move here, Joe? Right. <laughs> um, and the answer to that question, Jordan, if you if you asked, it would be Manchester City uh, and staying,
2: staying in the organization. And
1: That's that's what I'm getting at here. He's not actually going to play at Man City. I'm sorry. Um, that's not going to happen right now. Maybe 10 years from now, we're in a different situation. But I can very easily see City Football Group moving him over to the parent club in the Premier League and loaning him out to a club somewhere above the relegation zone at a major European league. I'm saying Ibar in La Liga, just below mid-table. They high-press a lot, which Castellanos is good at, and they produce mm-hmm. a largely entertaining product. I think you would thrive there.
2: Yeah, and kind of surprising that that's our first La Liga team, too. Yeah, I thought a lot about players trying to get them to La Liga, and but I like that.
1: Well, it's hard. It's hard for us, too, Jordan, because we're not European football experts, yeah. right? We're we're So just you only people think of the here. big
2: clubs, and you're like, I'm yeah. not...
1: So we don't know, like, I don't know how all the teams in La Liga play, right? I thought about right. sending Segura there, honestly, because he has so much talent on the ball. I thought, mm-hmm. well, that's a good spot for him, right? I think that makes a lot of sense. But I, I wasn't familiar enough with the league to make that connection. And so I think that does sort of limit our ability to pick spots for these players. But I think we're we're still coming up with realistic options regardless.
2: Right. Um, Okay. I like that. We've got two players left. One each. Uh, We've done two players for LAFC. We've done two players for Atlanta United. We did two players for Columbus, which is weird because I don't think think we anticipated this going into this podcast. And now we're going to do two players from another club.
1: That's right. That's right. We're headed down to Texas. Jordan, where are we going?
2: We're going to Texas. (laughs) I'm going Mauro Monotas, uh, center forward for the Houston Dynamo. It's his sixth season with Houston. Isn't that crazy? That's what I was I, when I was reading that. I guess I didn't realize that Um he's a Columbia International, 25 years old, 49 goals with Houston last year, 19 goals, eight assists in 2018. He had 19 goals. So the last two years plus, you know, over 10 goals apiece. But I think that assist number is also interesting to me. And this is why Uh when you had mentioned your talk last week with John and you guys talked about a lot of different things. But the one thing I thought about was the ability to receive a ball, right? Mm. And how that helps with adding to goal scoring, right? Sure. And I think that Minotas does this so well. So I went to the game earlier this year against Sporting Kansas City, not a great result for <sighs> Houston. <laughs> but there's an opportunity early in the game against Sporting Kansas City where Houston was transitioning. And they'd get this Early entry ball from the center back between the midfield lines all the way up to Minotas. And his first touch, I, I can't even explain how good it was because he touched it and it stayed dead at his feet, but it enabled him to almost do this half pivot and face up. So the defender behind him could not press him because if he pressed high, he would have touched the ball past him and then been in a really opportunistic place, you know, beating not only the midfield line with the pass, but then that defensive line as well. Um, his, his touch makes it hard for defenders to make a decision. And I think that his ability to receive the ball, whether it is a touch like that, whether it is posting up on a center back and really feeling that player and not allowing them to get around them and, and receiving the ball and then being a little bit of an outlet player and connecting with his midfield line. He does these things so well. And I I couldn't decide, is he a traditional nine? Is he a false nine? Because he kind of does a little mixture of both, right? He will pop into the midfield and receive the ball with uh, with the ball at his feet and run at the back line. But then I just said he likes to post up and hold the ball and connect with his back to goal and connect with his midfield. So I think he does these things really interchangeably, and it makes him effective. That false nine ability and dropping into the midfield is maybe one of the reasons reasons why he had eight assists last year, right? And why his assist numbers have increased because he knew that he couldn't just be a nine and have the responsibilities of a traditional nine. He tr- started to try to mix it up a little bit.
1: And especially in the past, obviously, Houston now coached by Tab Ramos, but they had been coached by Wilmer Cabrera for a couple of seasons at least. They didn't have the ball a lot, and so you need that versatility from your nine to keep possession yeah. when you have it. Well, that's to release one of the wingers, um, Romel Kyoto or Albert Elise down the, down the sides. You need Manotas to connect play in the middle as well as being that goal scoring threat in the box.
2: And some of the times in those specific um areas that you mentioned it is out of frustration right you're nine you're not getting the ball yeah. so you have to come back and just to just to get the ball but i think for him it has added to his game yeah. and it has been a benefit to the way that he plays so when i'm thinking of players that i think do that same thing i went troy dini like i see a lot of similarities in the style that troy dini plays with manottes uh, a real poacher in front of goal right and and i think that that can't go Without being said, Monotas's runs in the box allow him to be a good goal scorer, which I think is also Troy Dini. So I I think that if you find similarities to the way somebody plays, uh, then that could be a good fit within that organization. So I'm going Watford in the Premier League.
1: I think that's a really good observation with, with the player that they've had up top before. Having Monotas come in and do similar things with a similar skill set could be valuable for them.
2: Yeah, and I think Minotas is actually a little bit more mobile than Dini, um, and it will allow him to have success, or it could potentially allow him to have success within a system uh, like that. So uh, that's my last player, Joe. I'm going Minotas to Watford, and you're going to round it all up with one more Houston Dynamo
1: player. That's right. I mentioned his name already once, Albert Alise. He's only 24. Like you said, Manotas has been in Houston for six years. I couldn't believe that Albert Elise was only 24. I thought he's been in the league for longer. I thought he was older than that, which is really, honestly, just a message to the Dynamo front office that they need to sell these guys. I mean, Albert Elise especially has been itching for this move for years now. They need to go, right? Sell these guys on, reinvest that money, and move your club forward. But moving past that, actually looking at Elise's abilities here. I feel like he's a pretty well-known quantity in MLS, right? Sort of contrasting from Castellanos where he's still pretty unfamiliar. But we're gonna dig into what actually makes Elise so good. Number one, and this is what people know about him first and foremost, is his dribbling ability. He's not the most efficient dribbler, he likes to do it a lot, so he's bound to mess up from time to time. But when he picks good moments to go at an opposing fullback 1v1, he is deadly. Very good speed and acceleration, very good top speed. Right. So you've got those combined attributes. He can get up to speed quickly, can stay at that speed quickly, and he's almost impossible to stop at his top speed. He puts you in possible situations. Um, like we were talking about on the designated mm-hmm. player episode. Elise is just so, so good at isolating against an opposing fullback. The other thing that I want to touch on is his passing ability. He's primarily recognized as a dribbler, like I'm talking about here, but kind of like Carlos Vela can draw players to himself and create space for his teammates and then pass in those last second moments. Elise can do the same thing. Number one, because they're sort of similar players, although Elise typically plays Mm -hmm. as a right-footed, right-sided attacker, while Vela is a left-footed, right-sided attacker. But they have similar dribbling attributes here. Elise is able to take a touch, take another touch, take a third touch, force defenders to come to him because they're scared, as they should be. And then he'll just dish it off to another one of the attackers. Now in Houston, that could be Martinez, that could be Minotas, that could be Rodriguez. I mean, that could be any of these attacking players for the Houston Dynamo, at least as a real asset in creating space for his teammates because he puts his opposition defenders in, in these impossible situations, as I already mentioned.
2: Yeah, and I think that one of the things that is so difficult when you talk about him as a dribbler is he does have that touch-step, touch-step, touch-step kind of rhythm. So when the defender gets drawn in, he can either p- push it past you yeah. and outrun you, or he can connect into a one-two, and either way, he's behind you and you've been beaten.
1: Yeah, it's. I mean, he is a nightmare to play against. I think... It's almost almost understated how good he is in MLS. He's one of the absolute best wingers in this league, right? You'd scratch off Carlos Vela from the list, maybe. And then after that, you're looking at Albert at least as probably the next best wide attacking player in Major League Soccer. It's time for him to move on. So for me, I'm taking him to Bournemouth in the Premier League. We're ending strong ah. with Premier League teams. Watford for you, Bournemouth <laughs> right. for me. But I think, especially because of his experience playing without the ball, Bournemouth end up playing without the ball a lot in the Premier League. Under under Cabrera with Houston, oftentimes Houston were sitting back in a block and then transitioning quickly, and Elise was the star of those transition attacks. There's no reason that he couldn't do that at a higher level with Bournemouth, regardless of whether they end up staying in the Premier League this season or down to the championship next year. Hopefully, for Elise, if this happens, they'd be back in the Premier League, and he'd have a chance to really dominate in transition in that league as well, because I think he could do it.
2: I like that. And I don't think any player in the Premier League will want to go 1v1 with him.
1: Exactly. I mean, I think that skill would translate (laughs) to any to any level, to a higher level. Obviously, 1v1 defending improves. MLS is not known for its defending necessarily. But that is something that I think at least could raise his own game as a level of the defenders around him get raised as well.
2: Well, that was fun, Joe. We we went through 10 different
1: players there. We did. I think all of these guys have these skill sets that could have them succeed in the future somewhere else. And that is going to help Major League Soccer and it's going to help these guys too.
2: Yeah. And I think, you know, these are just our thoughts. And like we said, we're not experts in these foreign leagues. So right. we want to hear from you guys too. Maybe your thoughts of where some of these players could go or where you would like to see them go. Uh, we're always looking to get your guys' opinions as well
1: yeah i'll be interested jordan two three years from now maybe we look back and see which of these players actually moved because i think all of them should uh, we wouldn't have had them on here if they if we didn't think they should but i think it's possible that all of them will move on from mls and and fetch a pretty penny for these clubs too
2: yeah do we get any any of that then
1: <laughs> i think uh we'll have to wait till we get into the league office first before we can start <laughs> trying to make a, a push for that
2: Oh, so funny. Well, that was fun, Joe. Thanks. for Thanks for doing that.
1: Absolutely. Listeners, thank you for listening. And we'll be back again next week with the American version of this episode.